Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiast Podcast. The Two Enthusiast Podcast. Now with more lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. <laughs> broadsword, broadsword, broadsword. I don't think they, I don't, I think no? it's just the magic stuff. They oh, do. yeah? So I'd have to I mean, do it's been like... a while since I LARPed. So, I mean, I might be wrong and it, it, the game could have changed from then until now. You know, I've been so out of it. But yeah. LARPed. If, if you don't know what we're talking about, Type it into your browser, LARP, L-A-R-P, your world will be blown open. You've discovered a whole new thing. You're going to stop riding motorcycles. You're going to get about a dozen or so of your best friends. You're going to go out in the woods. You're going to dress like elves. You're going to have a really good time. (laughs) Uh, And then you're going to LARP. Yeah. (laughs) And then after that, you'll LARP. And then after that, you're going to do a live action role-playing game. (laughs) AJ's uh, neighbors are are LARPers. Of course they are. Across the street. Chris and Christy? No, no, <laughs> that's funny. Chris and Christy could be, they could be closet, the closet larpers. LARPers? Uh, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to imagine uh, Chris in a full wizard outfit. I like, can easily imagine and, Chris in a full and wizard Christy outfit. And, yeah. and a full wizard. They both they'd, would be they'd, wizards. They'd both be wizards. Yeah, for sure. Purple with the gold trim and whatnot, maybe. Or would it be dark and evil wizards? Like, Well, there's like different levels of wizards. And that's, I've given myself away by saying that. Yeah. But like, there's like, like you'd be like a gray wizard. Yeah, or a white so wizard. they'd be Gandalf the gray, gray level. Yeah. No, that, that, that ages them. I don't want to age them. They need to be like uh, young Chris, Skippy wizards. Is, Chris is listening to this. He just got back from his birthday. He's fucking old now. It was like, like <laughs> legitimately, you're fucking old. You put it on your business card. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm fucking old. Uh, <laughs> that's just, just how that is. It makes it so cute. That it'd be. Chris and Christy wizards, right? The, the, their names are all similar. No, the the people across the street and they're bizarre. And they'd walk out of the out of the place with like shields and you know wielding weapons of other sorts. I mean, I only bring this up. I mean, I brought this up in the first place because we were talking about Dungeons and Dragons before the show, and how are we, we don't have enough of that, surprisingly. Yeah, we need the roll Which the, is, roll sixteens or roll twelves or eighteen yeah, double or, double hit point damage or whatever. Which is probably a good thing that we don't have that in the show. But it's funny, like we bring it up because it just occurred to me, and this is this is how deeply I, I like smothered this memory in my brain. <laughs> I was actually part of a startup that was looking to do a type of live action role playing game as its business model. Yeah, and I don't want. I, can, I don't think I can give away any more details. I think I signed something that says I can't say any, anything too much. Really, but there was a about a four month period of time where I was heavily investigating the business opportunities of doing something like that. And you just decided it wasn't good. I decided there was no way in hell that we weren't going to get sued for like some horrible thing, like someone dying or sexual harassment or something going on. I can't wait to hear about this. We'll talk about it offline or we won't because the lawyers might hear this. (laughs) We'll talk about it offline. All Um, right. So yeah. um, Lightning bolt. Lightning bolt. Move along. Oh, dude, speaking of that, holy crap on the good get. I was going to tell you what a good get on the uh, Honda Goldwing. Yeah, it was was good, right? I'm pretty sure I just got uninvited from a press launch in October, but it was a good get. I I forgot. I was going to say something because I was just perusing uh, A&R the other day, and I'm like, whoa. I mean, there's a lot of pictures and a lot of good stuff there, and uh, they've been trying to keep it quiet until like late October, right? Yeah, they're so... To back it up a little bit, there is a press launch in SoCal that I'm, as far as I know, I'm still going to. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I haven't gotten the airfare yet for it, so we'll find out. But in 
Um, Honda wouldn't tell me too much about it other than like, hey, it's it's not necessarily up your alley, but it's really important you should be there. Okay, sold them there. Uh, and I was talking to Adam Wahid, our colleague uh, at Writer's Domain, and he and I were talking about it. And I was like, you know, what do you think it is? Like, you know, because Honda's playing around with electric stuff. They could be doing that three-wheel Neo-wing thing. No, They've got all the, sorts of the, stuff. The, the video they had was touring. This is pre-video. This is pre-video. Oh, okay. All we knew was that there was an event and oh, that it was okay. going to be a big deal. And he was like, you know, Jensen, I think this is the Honda Goldwing. I was like, that sounds right. Because there's been a lot of... Uh, patents that have kind of come out that show a Goldwing like bike and it is that uh, interesting it had like an interesting front end now the pictures that we saw it's a classic Hosack front end it looks bizarrely similar to the BMW one it like, is that K-series yeah, dual leader like, like almost like they just basically licensed it and didn't even change it but I think once you see it close, it'd probably be different. Uh, I mean I don't know what those patents really cover and, and I would assume it only covers the the point-to-point structure, not the actual castings and whatnot, but it looks really good and it looks very similar to the one that's on the 1300, the K1300 and 1200s right. for right. The, what, 10 years at least? Yeah. Love those bikes. I, you know, they're okay. I don't have any problem with them. I've ridden them. I think they're okay. They're they're long and heavy and all that stuff, but they're good touring bikes. I just like the way they look. I like the way they stance. Yeah, you're not going to go super fast on them, but I think like that would just be a fun bike. Put some bags on and just sport tour. And that structure, that front end is pretty bitchin'. I do love weird front ends. I look stuff like that. I'm not I'm not saying it's better or worse than any other given thing, but I think in I think there's a whole lot of sense on uh, to use something like that on a huge bike, and here we got yeah the biggest of them all, right? Really, and if it can shed some weight, which I'm not necessarily sure it can, but if I, it can shed some weight, that would really help it, them go if, a long if way. If it doesn't shed weight, it creates a better structure without adding more weight, because you know the forks on Goldwings, I'm fairly certain. Yeah, I think they're right side up. They have been, and they would have to be pretty gnarly. But I'm not sure. It's a good good question. We'll have to. Dig in to see if they're upside down. I don't think they're upside down forks. I think they're right side up the whole time. And that's interesting. Like, I'd love to understand the engineering calculations that have to go into fork sizing for a vehicle that big. Like, what does it take? Well, they've decided, screw it. I'm, we're just going to make the do this Hossack thing. Well, here, I mean, they start with Honda Civic. And then they take the doors off. <laughs> then they take the top off. And then they're like, okay, how can we get these wheels in the middle? Yeah. <laughs> and they just go from there. It's easy. I don't know why you have any questions about this. <laughs> right, for sure. They have airbags on some of them, right? Yeah, that's one of the things. And, the, it's and an even option. the ones you're not riding. Oh! <laughs> you're, on, you're on point today, sir. I enjoy it. <laughs> you, were, you were low energy, Quentin, on the last show, and you're high energy, Quentin, yeah, this show. Dude, I was expecting to be super low energy because I am run ragged. Uh, do we want to talk any more no, about wanna, this? Yeah, I want to finish this up. Yeah. Um, so, so I have to give credit to my colleague, Andy, and Andy Adam Wahid. About for calling, uh, it. for calling it, and he's you know I think he's spot on. And there was enough, there was enough kind of rumors and patents in the space beforehand, and these photos leak out, and we get a pretty good look at it, and it looks cool. I mean, it still it looks does. big. It does, but it looks cool. It, and but if you've ridden one, have you ridden a Goldwing? No, I know I can't remember. If I would track day the shit out of one of those. <laughs> I would love to ride one in general. I've ridden a newer style. It's been many years since I've did it, since I did it, since I've done it. But I enjoyed it when I rode it, understanding that is that's a specific thing right it, it, it is not a sport bike yeah. although it'll go well though right? there's a great story of a guy i think out he rides out in streets streets of willow yeah. with his gold wing i think he might be an instructor i, I should know the name and i don't but it was so early in my years yeah. that he was known for showing up track down his gold wing sure and just rocking c group with his cd player going and just like 
Yep, pass me on the outside the, now. The second track day I was ever involved with was at Phoenix International. No, Firebird Raceway in Phoenix when I was going to MMI. I was corner working for the Keith Code School. So this is like 1996, I believe, and or seven, early 97. And uh, there was a dude on an Aspen K, to the earlier version, a Goldwing out there doing the track day, uh, grinding in every corner, grinding his floorboards in every corner, but doing the thing. And you know what? Fair enough. If you want to learn your bike's limits, whatever kind of bike it is, if somebody said, hey, I have a Harley, I want to do track day, of course I'm going to say, well, is there a way you can get on some other thing? But then they're like, no, I want to, I want to get in a closed course to do the thing uh, and just ride around a slow group and understand it. I'd be like, yes, absolutely you should do that because it is a very specific thing to have to attack corners over and over and over again. I would never discourage somebody from taking their street bike to do it. But then I would also say after you do that and you get if you get bit by it, then start thinking about something that's more fit for purpose, right? Yeah. I just did the last uh, track day of the season up here at PIR with uh, the Moto Corsa crew, and there was a guy out on a Diavel yeah, in the sure. C-group, and I was like, oh, man, what a what a bike that doesn't lend itself so much to to a track day. But then thinking like, you know what? You're going to get out on the track and go do the thing. The Diavel's not the worst bike in the world. It has some, has some decent clearance. Dude, an ex-Diavel would haul ass, and the thing about it would be that it would have lots of good straight up and down grip. It would accelerate really well, even part, even even leaned over a little bit. You know what I mean? It's it's got plenty of because of the length of it, right? Yeah. And then the braking, holy shit! I bet I could do some major braking going into turn one on one of those things. It would be really fun. Love to try it. Haven't, but would like to try it. So back to the Goldwing, for sure, a bitchin' thing and fast enough and sporty enough. It's why it's done so well over the years, even though. Most people that buy those are a very specific type of person. There's, they're known. They're definitely, it's like the BMW people that are hardcore old airhead BMW people, the Guzzi people, the Goldwing people, right? I would liken it, this isn't going to make sense at first, so let me explain it. I would liken it to the, the Corvette by Chevrolet, where you have this vehicle and a brand that it is its own thing yeah, and the sure. owners of it are their own thing. Like there's nothing about like Chevy as a brand that really translates over to the Corvette. And yeah. it's actually interesting how it's Corvette, true. the Corvette brand itself is separated yeah. from the Chevy brand. Like it's actually really hard to find a Chevy, Chevy written anywhere or Chevrolet written anywhere on yep. a Corvette. Only the bow branded tie. Corvette. That's it. You see the bow, yeah. bow tie? That's it though. And it really sets itself out because it's supposed to be like the affordable Ferrari. And I feel like the Goldwing is the same way. Obviously, it's not performance focused, but the Goldwing Goldwing riders are almost a different group of riders from like I would say Honda's core demographic. I think there's more overlap in that Venn diagram than like the Chevy Corvette yeah, analogy. Sure, sure. I agree. But with it that. is still kind of like a separate thing. Like, like I don't see these guys being like, I bought a Goldwing, so therefore when I want to get a superbike, I'm gonna go get a CBR, and then I want to get a. CRF yeah. uh, dirt bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, my yeah, whole sure. garage is riding red. Yeah. Or it's like, no, I bought a Goldwing because it's a Goldwing. And then maybe I have something else in my garage, but it's not necessarily a Honda. Like yeah, you're, not, you're not bleeding red, you're bleeding gold. Yeah, for sure. And they, no, from a mechanical standpoint, from a from a being in the shop standpoint, just Goldwing owners are known for being very bizarrely persnickety. They love putting Farkles on their bikes a lot. Like, so the lights and the chrome and the, the and different than, uh, similar to Harley but different than any anything else. And then there's the great debate about car tires on the back. Have you ever? Oh yeah. The dark right? side. So this is a really, it's yeah. a really interesting thing about the, 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 the Goldwing owners that put car tires on the rear you tire. You gotta be a fucked up individual to put a car tire on the back of your motorcycle. Well, like you are just 
like what to use a phrase that you have coined you got to be pinnacle weird <laughs> yeah. you know like you are just you are one of just the special children of the land where it's like yeah yeah i put a a firestone on there. Yeah. And I'm getting well, hundred thousand miles on this bad beast. That was my initial reaction. And this was only within the past few years that I saw this get popped up somewhere in the internet. And I saw that I'm like, wait, wait, what? They do what? And then it made me dig in because I was so curious because I mean from like a morbid, it was like train wreck. I've got to go and check this out, right? So I checked it out and the more I read, I'm not gonna lie, the more I was like, oh okay. I'll I, I'm I'm not gonna say I would do it. But I'm not going to call the person a booger-eating moron if they do it. I would just be like, fair enough. You've decided that this is safe. And in, in your world, that is. And I, I just don't think I I would want to ever be part of that, right? It's. I think I've used this phrase before. It's like driving your car off your feet. Like, you can do it. <laughs> you can, It can be done. You can do it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Doesn't mean it's a good idea, but you can do it. Yeah, if that's sure. what you're into, if you've got some some toe jam up on that <laughs> steering wheel, go for it, buddy. I don't judge you. <laughs> but I'm not sure it's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> Yeah, but, it's interesting. Now, I want to see the intrepid fool that puts the car tire on the front wheel. Well, and, and I think the there's, I there's a thing him. about that as well. Oh, for sure. Like we'll have to dig idea. this in. So I'm gonna, I'll try and remember uh, after I do all the show notes. The show notes, yeah. I will try and put some links to that onto the <laughs> Facebook page for sure. But the Goldwing people, there, there, there is a bit of a, um, like the persnickety and the cheap. It's kind of, kind of. And so that's a little bit where the tire, the car tire thing comes in. But to be honest with you, it's pretty difficult to change the rear tire on a Goldwing. I'm not saying it's it's like the end of all, but it's not the it's simplest not like thing. It's like a sport bike. And it's yeah. not easy to do without having a lift and etc. I mean, it can be done. It's you know, the these people have ways to do it, but that would be a justifiable reason to say, "Hey, I don't really want I'm not worried about the performance. I just don't want to have to change my tire all the time and I put 100,000 miles a year on my bike." And they very well could, right? So all right, so Goldwings, good get, well done. Everybody listening, check out that because I think that's a that's an interesting thing for sure. It's interesting too because I just wanted to, to throw in real quick. Look at what BMW is doing in the space with the K sixteen hundred series. Sure. Look at what Yamaha is doing this year oh, with yeah. the yeah. Star Eluder and the Star Venture. Very interesting because it's like half Goldwing, half Harley. Yeah, sure. So you can see bagger, like this, this half long well, the Eluder is the bagger, king. and then the Venture is the tour. So you can see this space is heating up. I want to say off the top of my head, like the touring market in the U.S. is like 40% of the market. So this is a huge chunk of motorcycle This is sales. where you could get into Harleys without disturbing the Harley people. Like you could get people that aren't necessarily Harley people. Yeah. They just want a long yeah. distance cruiser. This was the next thing I was about to bring up. This is, I think the Honda Goldwing is the closest Honda has ever gotten to trading into Easily. Harley Davidson's territory. Way closer not than any Not with the Ace, Rune, not with any, any of those right? other bullshit, the Shadows. Nope. The gold wing was their way in. And I hope, maybe this is something I'll, I'll browbeat them on in October when I get disinvited. <laughs> disinvited? That's not a word. I'm making up words again. Uninvited. Uninvited. When I get uninvited from the, the you press put launch. The diss and uninvited. When they, they diss me with the uninvited. You, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but I think that's, I think that's, that's the, that's the gateway drug. Like, hey, come over here. Try our gold wing. You like that? Let's give you some silver wing. Yeah. You crazy <laughs> motherfucker. We're going to put you on a scooter. <laughs> snake <laughs> um so yeah good stuff there so none of that was actually in our notes for what we we're going to talk about today quinn so huzzah to us huzzah 
tell me what you've been writing because I haven't seen you in a while. You've been on some. I've been following your Instagram, so I know you've been out there doing stuff. I'm I'm bouncing around like a, a mad person. Um, I I think what did it start with? It started a couple weeks ago where a friend had a birthday. Uh, my my friend Jim Granger was getting thrown a, a special 80th birthday surprise party. And when I first saw this on Facebook, I got invited right, so by... So he's his, almost as old as Chris and Christy. Yeah, exactly. Right? Okay. So Jim uh, and I had shared shop space in LA and Reseda. Uh, Jim is an RC30 specialist. I've talked about him on the show before, I'm sure. Um, and he's he's excellent. And his son, Russ, is excellent. And Russ posted up this thing. Hey, we're doing this 80th birthday. It's like the week before. And I was like, oh, that sucks. I'd, I wish I could get down there. And then after a little while, I was like, well, wait. Why can't I? And you know, I look up flights, and it's not that bad. And I, yeah, I've, I was like, I could go do a dealer visit at Alta Beverly Hills. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do this thing. So I called my boss and told him what I was gonna do, and he was down with it. So I went, and I got to go and hang out with Jim. And when I went down there that day, it was like a day in and out, literally. I got to go see Jim, who's who's a a wonderful octogenarian. But before I went to him, I was stopped by Carrie Andrew's shop. And a lot of people will know Carrie Andrew from Hypercycle Suzuki in the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, he was the one that had put Nikki Hayden uh, on the map on a 600, uh, largely. And uh, uh, was uh, kind of, I don't know, what is it if somebody is coming to get you? He was witch hunted within the AMA uh, for cheating. Um, and had some stuff on his bike that was his various bikes and including Nikki's that were kind of, kind of a little bit brule bendy, but ended up getting super smacked because frankly, the AMA at the time was awful. And the, then the person in charge of tech was awful. And it was, a uh, everybody thinks everybody knows Carrie is, as being a cheater from this one thing. The funny thing is once you've worked in the AMA paddock and you know, factories, he wasn't doing anything any more serious than any factory does all the time, but cheating he, just means you got caught. Well, that's the deal. And when you're when you're a low guy in the totem pole and you're fast and you create good shit, and this is what he did. So it was good to stop by his shop and see his amazingly wicked stuff because what he specialized in for the longest time was Suzuki's and Kawasaki's, and he raced a Cowie back in the day, like seventies, eighties. So he has been racing, and he did that Phillip Island Invitational thing uh, a couple years in a row, or last year, or something like that, where they run the older superbikes. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm about. talking about? And this happens at Phillip Island every like late January, early February. So he showed me the bike that he had been using, which is trick as F, and then he showed me what he's building coming up, which is something called an XR69. So if you can, um, look, look this machine up. Cause it's pretty, it's pretty neat. Cause the, uh, um, the, the, what people are doing is taking FJ 1100 or 1200 engines and shoehorning them into wicked frames from, from that are uh, under over cradle style steel tube frames, but with modern stuff on them. So he's building one of these and there's a, a gentleman that runs one out at, uh, at Omra. I can't remember his name. It's, it's Norwegian. You'd 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 appreciate his Norwegian. Sven Svenersen. Yeah, Svensson? something like that. I, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, but he uh, his bike's really well done. It's very nice, and that's what Carrie's building. So that was cool to see that. Then I stopped by Paul Taylor Shop, which Taylor oh, Made Racing. Yeah. Uh, so Taylor Race Taylor Made uh, is, is the website. Um, he's so in golf clubs. No, right. That's this is the issue. So you got to go to Race Taylor Made, not Taylor Made. Um, he's the one that makes. He has been making slash cut. MotoGP look systems for bikes for oh, 10, 10 or so years, at least 10, 15 years, probably. So I stopped by his shop. I hadn't seen him in a long time. 
and I got to see the Bruff Superior carbon monocoque bike that he built. The um, Moto 2 bike, yeah. Yeah, and and I didn't realize that was Sean in the States. Sean Higby rode that? Higby might have in the States. Yeah. But when it was Moto 2, it was Jeremy Williams, wasn't oh, it? Oh, that sounds right, yeah. I and think. he was slow. I, yeah. And it didn't go that it well go because well. It, yeah. it's, dude, it's a weird thing. It's not a Hossack front end. I forget what he calls it. Uh, sax track is what they used. Hey, he he was instrumental in the Saxon Triumph. Look that up. I've done this. I've said this on the show before. Look up the Saxon Triumph uh, because Paul was a big part of that effort in the 90s that raced against the uh, Britain and the Bears series, British, European, American racing, something like that. That was the Bears series in the in the 90s. Um, I uh, I got to see the the Bruff Superior, which was a, a lot of the the cues of the bike from from Saxon, to be honest with you, but using a Moto2 setup. So the Honda engine with this um, this very specific front end that's not telescopic forks completely, it's partial, and then uh, uh, ducted uh, cooling and uh, neat carbon monocoque that surrounds the... It's like an exoskeleton, so it's really cool. It's the only bike I've ever seen where someone says like, oh, yeah, it's a monocoque frame, where it was actually a monocoque frame. Yeah. There's been a lot of, like, people call the Ducati... Uh, frame monocoque and it's really nope, not not even close no nope. and i mean you could say it's close because it, it no no and, you can't and i've no. seen people call the britain one monocoque and you're like yeah it's nope. really not not if you look at like like in the aeronautical sense of the word it's nope. really not not the definition for sure so it's yeah this is the only one i've ever been like yep that's 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 fair it's pretty neat and it's really cool and his shop's in van nuys really close to carrie's andrew's shop and which is again really close to graves didn't get a chance to pop into Graves because they were at Barber, I think. So then I went and uh, did this awesome um, uh, birthday party for Jim uh, at the 94th Aero Squadron restaurant there in Van Nuys. And then I blasted down to Beverly Hills the next day and saw the the good folks there at Beverly Hills Ducati and KTM and Alta. Um, and then, dude, so I came back and then went on a ride out to Eastern Oregon. Hopefully, I'll be able to do one more ride, but it was good to get a fossil run in. So this is for us in, in Portland. Uh, it's kind of like a Kessel run, but it's a fossil run. Uh, <laughs> How where many you, parsecs can you do? Yeah, it? right. Exactly. Um, so uh, you get you you ride to and from Fossil, which is Central Oregon, uh, through the high desert, and um, it was smoky. Um, we got to camp up off uh, uh, in the Mount Hood wilderness, which was good. And then uh, also got got a good ride in on the Multistrada, and uh, I was with my partner Jet on their Hyperstrada, and it was a good time. So did that. Then, bam, Monday I had to fly to, oh, uh, geez, it was JFK to go see a series of dealers. Um, shout out to Town & Country in, in uh, Jersey, who's a Kawasaki dealer and to, taken on Alta. And then uh, Hudson Valley. Drink motorsports which is really awesome they're a good uh shop that's there and then oh i know those guys yeah yeah uh richie alexander yeah. and yeah. Corey alexander, Corey alexander exactly. is the better known for for our moto america fans yeah and richie uh if most people don't know because this was in the late 90s he's a ama 750 super sport champion from like 98 or 99 so it runs in the family i think they're i i can't remember if it's his uh Uncle, or you know, I can't remember what the what the exact. Yeah, I can't remember. There's and, a gener. There's a. I think there's a generational and a. Yeah, know, a family. I think thing. it's an and uncle thing. Good, good dudes. Really cool. Um. Uh. So stoked on that. Then Pilgrim Power Sports in Plymouth, and then 
This uh, portion of the Two Enthusiasts podcast is brought to you by Alta. Yeah, right. Alta Motors. We make bikes go zap. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was good. It was good, but it was cool for me to go see. I I have never in all my Ducati days, I didn't get a chance to to blast around the Northeast very much, just a little bit. So to get into Sebastian and New Hampshire uh, was really interesting, and then uh, Rochester. I got to go to Rochester. I've never been to Rochester, so it was good. It was awesome. So um, that I just got back from, and I am uh, still spinning because I was on. I was in New York this morning, so. There's well, that. I appreciate your dedication to the podcast. Yeah, Come right. Over and this is good. Cut a track with me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so that's what's going on. Other than that, I can't think of any specific riding things uh, that's gone down in the in the recent past. So, what about you? Yeah, yeah. Not um. Well, I guess it's been a while. Like it's been long enough that I can I can actually talk about some motorcycle riding, but I haven't been on a bike that much in the last week or two, mostly because I've been getting the first Superbike Deathmatch story out finally. Yeah, finally. Uh, what the hell happened, man? What was the what was the main holdup there? I don't have a good reason. I was I was so busy with life. Yeah, fair enough. Um, no, I mean that thing was a tome. It it's forty six hundred words or something like that. It's legit long. The first one? Yeah, I guess it was. I mean, I blurred through it pretty quick. It's easy reading. It's good reading. It's good. You got some good quotes in there. I had to edit out some of your swearing. You swear a lot. Fucking a. I know, right? Not everything's a podcast, Quentin. But, um, so did that. But yeah, no, I finished up kind of what I would call my season up here. I'm sure I'll get down to California and do like some Thunder Hill or SoCal or Chuck Walla or something. Yeah, because it's pretty much track days. But up here is pretty much done. So I had my last Supermoto track day, which was an absolute shit show. Uh, ran into a couple listeners. Uh, I apologize in advance. I usually have my shit more together than that. Um, were you, buddy you were kind of like Aprilia. Oh, I was worse. I was like the Moto Marini of <laughs> Supermoto <laughs> track Needing days. to get your shit together. <laughs> Needing to get my shit together. Just a mess. Um, forgot my helmet. That, that, that's, that's an as, issue. That's as bad as it gets, um, right? That's like not having uh, consumable parts in stock at, yeah. your, at your buddy U.S. Christian warehouse. didn't have cash to pay for the track day, so we had to like well, borrow it from cash? a random guy next to us. Dude, what entity doesn't use one of those little square things on the on their on their phone to pay for stuff, right? So um, the McMinnville go kart track doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where. Um, took a digger, knocked my head pretty good. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. And uh, luckily, my aunt came by and she's a nurse so she gave me the good check over but yeah i had a good little headache for a while and reminded myself about uh proper safety and and you know it's interesting like how much concussions and um cte is now with like the nfl and like all these kind of things that we're learning about the brain so cte is something something encephalopathy right yeah chronic traumatic encephalopathy it's really tough to say i don't think you can say that word without being drunk I'm just gonna say that, um, and which I, is which is unfortunately ironic because one of the ways you get encephalopathy is through liver disease. So and being punch drunk, no. that's that's where punch drunk kind of comes. Oh no, yeah, sure, right. So interesting, just just to have that happen. It wasn't like like no worries, right? I was fine the next day, but just to have that kind of in the the public consciousness right now, and to have people talking about it, and it's a big deal. In the space for motorcycling. Is that your first time ever being concussed? In a long time. So in you, your brain time. has had plenty of time to recover. Oh, But if yeah. you went out and got another concussion within a year even, you got to really watch out because then it's additive. Because that's what's happening to Josh Day. 
Right. Josh Day is a, a Moto America rider that uh, that had think, like three concussions conse- consecutively or close enough to where it's like, dude. And this is the thing. And this is like when I talk to like my people in motorcycle racing and I just look at it and like, you guys aren't taking this serious. You guys aren't taking nearly this as serious as you need to be. And like Moto America and a couple of its series have changed like their concussion protocols in the la- last year or two. And that's great. But like we are. This is an iceberg of an issue, and we are still on what's above the surface of the water. There's so much more below the surface. Like we need to be taking our our head injuries way more seriously. And this will be a good a good segue into talking about Valentino Rossi coming back for the MotoGP round this yeah. weekend at Aragon. But before we get there, like just just like how quickly we let riders get back on the track and and how we're doing all that. You know, we're gonna have to sit down and have a real think. I you know, Quentin, you and I have talked about how I'm doing kind of a big. Uh, helmet shootout right now yeah, I'm, sure. in, I'm in the process of doing that that'll come out sometime in 2019 yeah probably just in time for every major manufacturer to come out with a new model <laughs> which is great um but that was that was the other thing i finished my last track day at pir and i was doing helmet yeah. stuff and, yeah. and doing all that and and just the other day i got um the 6d, 6D? helmet which is you the, want all the d you get all the six d's of them. You only, your helmet probably only has like well you probably only got one day <laughs> But, if, you know, you definitely don't have five Ds. This one's got six Ds. <laughs> it is a gangbang of helmets. Um, so they'll never advertise with us. <laughs> but, no, it's interesting because... Cause, That's a fallacy. You know, I, I brought it... I brought, <laughs> walked right into that. <laughs> you would. It's so many. You walk I walked right, right in. into that like a key party. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know how you would recover. Let's just move on. <laughs> but it, no, it's interesting because 6D, obviously, they have a very interesting design where they kind of have like, it's like two helmets in one. And it's got like it's these the kind of... the size of it, yes. It's, well, because it, and they have like, I'm going to do a really bad job describing this, but they have like kind of rubber suspension in between two shells that is ah, supposed okay. to help with rotational forces as well as low speed and high speed impacts. That's why it's so big. So that's why, you know, that was the thing I brought it up to show you, the, the helmet. I brought the helmet out to show you. <laughs> Uh, the, the helmet you put on your head, the 6D helmet you put on your head out to show you. Uh-huh. Because it is, it's an interesting helmet. It's an interesting technology. Uh, they're trying to address this space. I mean, that's where they're kind of making their bread and butter is like, they're actually, it's one of the few helmet brands that's making an appeal to safety. And doing something a little different, a little bit. Like- one of the few helmet brands you will ever see post crash test data to their website. So props to that. The helmet's fucking huge though. It's fucking huge, and the sizing is a little off, so that's a large, and I think, truthfully, I need an extra large. So I really need an even You know what? Helmet. It's funny you say that, because when I put it on, it it felt like my normal. It felt good for you, didn't it? It did. Yeah. So their sizing is just a little bit different than normal. Fair enough. Okay. But then it's like, heed. And it's like, you look, it looks like the Sputnik, yeah. right? Yeah. It's going to give you a complex. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's interesting. But I'm a firm believer... And and there's we could go down a rabbit hole on why this is the case, but I'm a firm believer that that helmet technology is going to have to make a quantum step if we were going to continue motorcycle racing, and and I think that step is um, active safety measures, active airbags, things that are taking into account the more dynamic crashes that we have and and are protecting our heads at a higher range of velocities and, and force of impacts and points of impacts and, and incorporation for the neck as well. You have to incorporate. So seeing all the Liat braces or Hans device type things that are trying to keep your head from going from ranging certain amounts, 
Um, and they, the, those types of things do not look like something I'd want to wear on a road bike, even though they might be safe. So having something that, 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 that combines it all, that might be a structure within leathers yeah. that isn't external, something like you. So you're going to have to, well, that might look be. At, look at what's going on in the, the gear space for safety in terms of like airbag safety, like Dainese and Alpine Stars yeah. that, and what they're developing. That that needs to be occurring in the helmet space, and the big reason that it's not is just cost. Yeah, any of these high end helmets that I'm testing, I guarantee you, are being built for less than a hundred dollars, and they're being sold for nearly a thousand. And it's it's highly lucrative. It's hugely lucrative to these brands to keep making helmets the way that we make them right now. Because how much does some styrofoam cost? How much does some fiberglass or carbon fiber cost? How much does the epoxy cost? How much do these little plastic, you know, switches yeah, that are made? Yeah, if you're looking made, at building materials, there's not a lot it's in the not building a lot material. There. It would then be scaled by how much you can make, how many of these units you can make, because you could, if the, say, if the shell is the most expensive part in carbon fiber, not only from the material, but also from the design and engineering and tooling. Let's call it tooling for that. Shoot, you if you make enough of them, it doesn't, you know, it cost has still got to be pretty come down quite a bit, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And that, and that, so this is a good segue to another thing that we want to talk about. Um, because we saw the revival of, of Scully this week, and one of my Wh- biggest, which is very like it's Buell esque, where you're like, oh, oh my god, really, just like really hit it with a stick like a baby seal and put it out of its misery. <laughs> no, like, gee, many Christmas. Like, we're waiting, we're waiting because even one of your commenters, it was either on the Facebook or on your, was like, oh yeah, I, I can't wait to get one of those with my new Buell. I'm like, oh, yeah. no, God. Yeah. Oh. They should just tag team up with that. But, but one of my <laughs> biggest issues with that project was the fact that Scully was basically going to a Chinese firm, MHR, and getting one of their just frankly ancient helmet designs, changing it a little bit. You know, that helmet MHR wholesales for like $50. And then Scully's turning around and charging, what was it, like close to 1500 with it? Yeah. For like a cell phone's worth of technology in it. And you're just sitting there going like, you are literally putting out what people would call uh, a shitty helmet. You know, <laughs> like like that's that's the, when you have the plastic, you know, shell and not like a, uh, a yeah. fiber composite yeah. shell. Really? It's that bad? It's that bad. Okay. And you're like, so like you literally are like taking like the oldest technology that we have in this space and like, and like, and you're just like throwing in some like basic electronics. And you're going to flip around and like tart it up with some marketing while you're like apparently hiring strippers and renting Ferraris on your boat in the San Francisco Harbor. But they're saying, Hey, we're, we're new that we have nothing to do with that old company. We're well, just trying that, to. So that, you know, that's me being shitty about, about old school. And there's lots to be shitty about old school. And I wish nothing but horrible things for the people that don't deliver when they, you know, it screwed a lot of people, screwed over. a lot of people over. But yeah, no, it's interesting to see that that's now being resurrected by, uh, two cousins out of Spain who through, um, their little company, their, um, the ones that have taken over gas gas. And brought it back then to it life. Then it can't be that little of a company. Well, it's not like Gas Gas was like in a great shape. Like I think they just kind of sure. Like, at that point, like there was. But a you lot called of, it their little company. It's like oh, it's, it's not, not that big. It's not that big. It's not that big. Yeah. But it'll be interesting to see. Um, they hired a CEO or COO out of Atlanta, Georgia. And they're going to do business out of Atlanta. They're doing business out of Atlanta. That's Which, where to be honest that's with where you, he's based out of that so. makes. Like if somebody says, "Hey, we're gonna do this thing with a product, and no. we're gonna do it See, out of 
this is where I get cynical. I know where, I know where you're going with it, but I get I get cynical because they look at it like like I look at the dude's resume and I'm just like, oh, you're based out of Atlanta. This is where you're doing. It's like the company's going to be based in Atlanta. So the company is just one person in my mind with two owners over in Spain. And you read kind of like the pitch and it's like, we're going to bring VR and AR and AI are like the three buzzword. Sure. Like we'll just throw money at it. Silicon and Valley kind of thing. Taking it away from Silicon Valley so far is well, like, well, then you don't have much mind share. I just share. look at it as like, if the biggest issue with Scully the, the first time around was how much smoke and mirrors it was. This does not feel any different. Oh, okay. Where it's just like, this company sounds like just one dude in his like home office in Atlanta with a website. Well, and then with the- ownership in Spain that I have yet to see them do really anything meaningful with the gas gas brand. And then like you're going to come and your pitch is like all this industry BS bingo bullshit that, you know, like, oh, AI and VR and AR. And you're like, you don't have nearly the engineering staff to back up those promises. You probably bought some uh, some patents and some tech that Scully was making, but like I'm still kind of dubious on like what real tech Scully had that other people couldn't replicate in six months' time. And so it just it just feels very fake. And in the, you know, and I was very negative when we reported on the story because it just feels fake. And and to resurrect the brand name Scully after it, what that brand name put its customers through to me it just shows a level of incompetence that comes along with it where it's just like do you not realize like how radioactive the scully name is in motorcycling like there is like from a marketer's point of view there is no value to naming your thing scully if you called it heady and everyone knew like hey this is this is like the leftover tech from scully it's just but it's heady and it's a new team and it's new investors that makes more sense to me than being like, oh, we're going to pay that extra however many dollars, thousands, hundreds, whatever it was to get the Scully name. Scully name is worth like negative dollars in my mind. You're better off scrapping that and just being like, yeah, we got the tech from Scully, but we're not called Scully. I don't know. I think maybe in a little bit of the there's no such thing as as bad press just coming in. Name's really? called right. Style. Let's, yeah. let's find out in a year or two if there's no such thing as bad press because I think right off the bat – all the press they're going to get initially is going to be bad. Yeah. So like, you've automatically out of the gate have to overcome your name as Scully. But because that name was already like so far out there with Scully, even though I think it's an awful name, period. Like just even if it was brand new, calling it Skull just implies death. And there we go with, right? For, that's me in the, right off the bat, right? right? All right if all it right. was like cranny-y. Here's, here's a question, Quentin. Do you ever think Ford will come out of, you know, we're seeing like the modern version of car, like older cars coming back. Like we're seeing like new darts, uh, new that's challengers. An or a probe. Do you think, do you think we're ever going to see another Pinto? Do you think we're ever going to see a modern day take on the Gremlin? Do you think those brands are ever going to be resurrected by those car manufacturers? Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I don't think so. And it's the same thing. Like, a Gremlin would be pretty rad. I would love to have a Gremlin or a Pacer. Pacers are sweet. Right? But it's just one of those things. Like it's just, they're just, there's too much stigma, like especially the Pinto. There's just too much stigma going on with that those things are the bomb <laughs> yeah that's the impro- that's the unfortunate <laughs> part um so like for me like i just look at it like okay here's the information that i have available to me uh you're resurrecting a a, a a radioactive name so i don't think you understand what you're doing for marketing you're based in like atlanta with like some dude and it just feels like a single man operation at this point in time and that that worries me your investors like yeah they're in the industry they're they are turnaround specialists, so to say, but I haven't really seen them be successful at turning anything around, so I don't know what's going on there. 
And I just kind of go like, oh, and your your pitch to me right now feels exactly like what Scully's was, where it's like, you're not pitching the consumer, you're pitching investors. You're using key industry buzzwords that are getting funded right now. Your technology really has nothing to do with augmented reality. Your technology really has nothing to do with virtual reality. Your technology sure as fuck doesn't have anything to do with artificial intelligence. So why are you using those buzzwords when your first product is going to be a helmet with a video camera in it? I just don't get it. And so it just feels to me where I'm just like, ah, you guys are just sitting around like Dutch ruddering each other. Like, get on with yourselves. Show me a product that is finished and does what it says it does and is a good piece of wearable technology that I'll actually want to put on so my even head. even if right now they were coming out with us all these press releases and there was a product, uh, the even if it was the finished version of the original Scully with the with all it was was a camera. Well, the, thing, the thing with the Scully was it was never to the point where it could be commercialized. It was never production ready. They had like working prototypes, but it was never something that could be mass produced. That's was, what I mean. If they came out with something and you got it in your hand, right? If they had gone through the effort instead of now, it seems like they're they're raising up a flag in a weird way, maybe it's just to attract investors. Well, and so we saw the initial, that was what the initial one uh, email looked like. And you were just making me aware of a second email that, that came out that was talking about how they're going to make things right. And I think that is them trying to now play catch up like, oh, hey, people aren't as happy that we're coming back as we thought they were. We better get this email out and say how we're going to make this right. Yeah. And our new helmet, the Phoenix, the Phoenix, Spanish for Phoenix, is going to be that helmet. I am sure that helmet is the Scully helmet commercialized and brought to market, which means it's still that $50 helmet with $100 worth of electronics being sold for, we'll find out how much. Yeah. And that was always my issue with Scully was, okay, let's look at it on the merits. On the merits, if I'm buying a $1,500 helmet, it better be a really good helmet. And people that buy at that price point buy for a reason. They buy an Arai because it's an Arai. They buy a Shoei because it's a Shoei. They buy an AGV because it's an AGV. The most expensive helmet out in the market right now, other than that crazy $4,000 Arai carbon fiber one, which is ridiculous, is the $1,500 AGV Pista GPR. There's a reason that AGV can charge that much money for it because Valentino Rossi, because Rossi. wears it every day and he owns a chunk of the company yeah. and he helped develop it. And when you buy it, like three of the colorways are like Valentino Rossi colors. Yeah. That's the reason why people bought that helmet. And there's a perception of Rossi wears his helmet. This helmet must be the shit. Or Arai has this reputation of being great helmets. That's why I buy Arai. I'm an Arai guy. Or it's like, but I've got a showy head, so I buy showies and I'm a showy guy. Or I'm a bell guy. There's a reason you buy these high-end brands at these high-end prices. And here comes Scully with this $50 Chinese bucket that most people would make fun of. I'm not saying it's not an unsafe helmet. I think there's a lot of evidence to show that it is a safe helmet. But it's that perception. These are the same people that would turn their nose at a $50 Chinese helmet, and now you're trying to sell it to them, and all you're doing is upping the price. Good luck with that strategy. I didn't think it was going to work with Scully, even when I thought that they could actually be like a well-run company, which they clearly were not. And so, like, even if these guys come and do and say and do all the things right, I still think the product's lacking. So I'll be really curious to see what that looks like, and I'll be really curious to see what the market response is. I can't believe anybody would have put money into like, oh, oh yeah, I want one of those. Or like, it, it I'm blows sure my they mind. got a bitch in price because people just wanted to unload it. But you say that, but isn't wasn't the thing where a lot of those people put down like the full fourteen hundred bucks to get the virus. oh those people? I'm, yeah, you're talking to the consumers. I'm talking about the the investors that own the bones of Scully as it goes through. Oh, it's yeah. kind of yeah, sure. You know, sell off process thing. Like Intel, I think put in like ten million. There's like, ugh, you know, if we can just get like a hundred thousand dollars back, we'll be stoked. Intel put in, yeah. you think that much? Uh, I think that's what it was reported. I think it was around ten that million. That's bizarre. Yeah, I think it was a bit. Don't Holy. don't quote me on the number. Intel did invest, and I want to say it was to the tune of ten million. Wow. Um, okay. 
Well, I think we've covered that one pretty well. You're obviously very heatedly. I, I get worked it. up about it because it's just at no point before the shenanigans went down did I think this was a good idea. And then I thought the shenanigans were pretty apparent from from early days. Yeah. I remember sitting in on a thing at a club in San Francisco with it was like early days Scully showing it. And it was like a Hitler youth rally. You know, like you had like the CEO <laughs> up there pretending he was doing like his best Steve Jobs impersonation and everyone was just drinking the Kool-Aid and like you're just sitting there going like this is a horrible idea. Like, this is not going to succeed. And, like, you don't strike me as the team that's going to make it work. But I felt like I was the crazy person in the room because I literally someone yelled out, shut up and take my money. And I was just like, you need to be punched in the face because you've just, like, you are completely ignorant to all the data that's in front of you. And you're just like, literally, shut up and take my money. Like, you, you've bought it hook, like, and sinker without any rational thought. Dude, it's a meme, right? <sighs> and that's the thing. That's the thing where I just sit there. I'm just like, <sighs> It's that's, just so that's bad. That's the idiocracy we, so we, we're in. I love the idea, though. I love the idea, and I want to see disruption in the helmet space. I'm a firm believer that the helmet brands and the motorcycle industry are too entrenched. They're too comfortable. They're too safe. They're making fat margins on mediocre products, and it's time for helmet safety to take its next step. And I think what we're seeing with CTE and what the NFL is going through um, someone was just showing on my feed today. They were like, I bet OJ Simpson has CT. And I was like, I bet you're right. Big time. I bet you're absolutely right. Sure. That would explain a ton of that behavior. No doubt. Cocaine would also explain it, but CTE is wood as and well. And a combination of both. Big Boom, you've got, there you have a civil. That's a Friday night, sir. There, there you have a civil case on your hands. <laughs> right? You got more than a civil case on your hands. Um, Where was I getting all fired up for? The motorcycle industry doesn't know what it doesn't know yet. We haven't had a major motorcyclist come forward and be diagnosed with this because you know happens after death you have to be diagnosed after death you have to dissect the brain and cut it up to thin little things and look at it under a microscope and we haven't done that yet but you know i'm waiting for like an agostini or a kenny roberts senior or you know name one of these these mega famous motorcycle racers to pass away and someone to look at their brains and be like holy shit look what happened here I don't think there are as many as from a contact sport scenario on a, say from a football, there's no way. And have you looked inside a football helmet? Right. You know, like, right. And it's not like those things were they're, like they're ridiculous. Safety. Everything about the, what anybody says is safe on a, on a, in a football and also knowing, you know, from being from central Texas, knowing what kids have to do to be competitive in football from the age of 10, I'm not, five, but let's, let's just say 10, you end up having to bonk your head a lot for a long time, right? That's just the way it is. There's not even any equivocating on there's just, that's the way it is. You end up banging your head for a long part of your life, period. Whatever position you're in, for sure, more positions, uh, result than others. Whereas on the motorcycle side, I don't think it's as extreme. Doesn't mean it can be, but you know, I have knock not I'm knocking my noggin. Ironically, I have. I feel I've only been concussed once. I got hit on the head once with, back about five years ago, in a bad crash. Other than that, I've every time I'd crash, crash on the front end, and I literally would not touch a helmet. Yeah. I only have like three helmets with scratches on them, oh. and this is from. You know, 20 years of road I'm the racing. same way. I think this is the first time I've ever crashed when my head touched the ground. Yeah, when you said it, it surprised me. All right? And it was just, I mean, and that was, I mean, it was a weird crash. I ended up backwards. And I remember, I remember I was kind of like in the air and I was going, I don't think I was like in the air, in the air, but like, that's how it felt to me. You were flying. But I just remember being like, 
because I was going to come down on my feet. I knew I was going to land on my feet or I was going to get onto my feet, but I was facing the wrong way and I was still moving like 20, 30 miles an hour. And I just remember my head being like, mm, you know, Newton, Newton's got it out for me. Like the physics of this situation are not in my favor. And sure enough, whack feet, butt, back, head, bum, 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 bum. Yeah. Just in that order. Which is a, a down normal type of whiplashy type yeah. of thing for the head. And I had a little whiplash, you yeah. know, but you know, yeah, I think you're right. Like, Motorcycling does not equal NFL in terms of, of the propensity for someone to hit their head and, and what force. But at the same time, we are seeing racers crash in FP1, get back on their bikes and go back out and then crash again in FP2. Like, how many times has Sam Lowe's crashed in a weekend this year? How many times has Kyle Crutchlow crashed on a race weekend this year? You know, like, look at all these guys. Like, we have some, a few names that are kind of chronic crashers. And we have to start taking that more seriously. BSB has a, uh, a no remount policy. And I think that's for different reasons other than just like safety per se. But I think safety is still a component of that. And that might not be a bad idea. And maybe when people crash in FP1, we have a little bit more of a think about whether or not they get back on the bike in FP2. Or if we even let them come back to the, the box and hop on another bike. There has to be more of a discussion about it. And that's, that's all I'm going to say. I, I w- I'll end with a, a quick story. Um, at uh, Pikes Peak, the race, the 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 AMA road race at Pikes Peak International Raceway. Right. Not Pikes this is Peak, not the road race up the mountain. Not up the mountain, but the, it's at this bull ring of a track that's uh, you know probably thirty miles south of the of, of um, Colorado Springs. This is in two thousand and three because that was the year I raced AMA on a six hundred. My teammate and I were on R6s teamed with Larry P. Gravel Pegram. And it was just kind of a, it was a, that's a, that's a story in and of itself that maybe some, someday at the end of a podcast I can tell. Um, but it was the dream team. And it, Larry was on a Ducati and we were kind of glommed on, on, on R6s. And we were both trying with not a whole lot of money to, to do a thing. The team ended up disbanded after half the season because Larry ran out of money and, uh, bad things happened, but this, this race was the last one I did with them. And, um, the, the kid I was teamed with, and I, I can't remember his name, but I think it might be Halsmer, H-A-L-S-M-E-R. And he was from Indiana or somewhere in the Midwest. And he crashed, I believe on the first lap of the race. Um, and caused a red flag and he was going on to the front straight and at that track going on to, I wouldn't even call it a front straight. He was going on to the banking cause it's a banked oval. Um, and it's a small one, man. It was a 55 second lap. I think something like that it was really weird. So he, he's getting on it and high sides and, and, and we all, we all grid back up or we actually go to the pits cause it was a red flag and there he is. He gets back on the bike and rides around and then they're in the pits with him. And it was apparent that he was not okay. He didn't take his helmet off, uh, but you could tell. I mean, the rest of us that were watching him, I was, I was, I had just started and then came in. I didn't, I had no issue. I wasn't involved with the crash, and uh, we're all watching this. Like, dude, he's not okay. But they let him go back out um, at that time, <clears throat> and I can't remember how that worked, but. He ended up like going the wrong way on the track or wrong way down the pit lane or did something that was like, oh, fuck, like and, and had to get pulled back in. And that, that's a good example of uh, 
how much how much policing within the paddock within the teams needs to happen because in this case you got probably i'm gonna guess um you know super super enthralled dad trying to get his son out there i'm I'm pretty sure he was involved and then the rest of the team focusing on getting the bike right instead of the rider because you're like oh the bike's broken it got crashed and you're not thinking about the rider who's up and walking so you don't see any obvious damage right and they don't you know shine a light and see his pupils are probably dilated or whatever it is happens when you're when you're concussed and that for me was a wake up where I was like, wow, hopefully that never happens to me. I've got to be careful about what happens if somebody's asking me where I'm from and who who the president is to, to really try and have the wherewithal. Because I know a lot of people, myself included, if you're asking me those things, I might have the wherewithal to, to, to try and fake it, right? And even though they, it would be obvious to, and if I was concussed, I could see where it has to be more than just that. You're going to have to really have a look at it if somebody's, if you helmet damage being the key thing, right? If you see that that, that there's a, a lot of helmet damage, it's a given that person should probably be evaluated heavily. Right? I think it's hard. I think I think everyone there it is in their best interest to get back on to get that rider back on the track. From yeah. the team owner to the mechanics yeah. to the organizer to the fans. Everyone's going to push it's in their best interest just from like a Smithian economics point of view to put that that rider back out there and you're going to have to have some sort of chief medical officer have some sort of doctor or medically trained personnel who is empowered and frankly emboldened enough to be the person says no you're not going to go out and do the thing that your sponsors are telling you to do that your owner just spent you might thousands of dollars to get you here to do for your fans who paid however much a ticket is to come watch you do it and the TV rights and all the other things that trickle on. It's not worth your life or the lives of of the corner workers or the lives of the the competitors. Because we're motorcycle racing at the end of the day. We're not changing the price of bread. Yeah. Um, And that's hard. That's a hard thing to do. You know who we need to get on the show? We need to get Shelby Rossi's dad. I can't remember. It's Dr. Rossi. Yeah, Dr. Rossi. Um, I'll I'll talk with Shelby. Shelby now works at Ducati as the online... Our, uh, our man Nathan, person. who's listening right now, will help us out. Nathan, with that. let's get get us Dr. Rossi, and we'll figure out a. We'll we'll go to Denver. We need to do a, a show in Denver, and we'll go. I like Denver. I like Don. I like the omelets, and I like John Denver. The city sucks. Really, I like Denver. Fuck Denver. Hate I like it. Denver. Hate it. Boulder's awesome. Fort Collins is rad. Colorado Springs is meh. Denver. Oh my god, I've had a lot of bad times in Denver. That's that doesn't impress me. But I'll go there to interview Dr. Rossi because he's a rad dude, apparently. All right. So All right, we should enough. do it. Uh, speaking of Rossi, speaking yeah, of injuries. Good segue. You like that? I'm a professional. <laughs> we got we to at least devote a couple minutes to talking about um, the doctor himself. Tiv fib. He broke a tiv fib. Yeah. I, I would love to know. I don't Pinned think it. it's a spiral fracture. No, it was a displaced fracture. Okay. Because uh, most which, of the time, Tib Fibs in motorcycle land, it's a spiral fracture from putting the foot down on a mini bike. This is—I'm not kidding. This happens yeah. usually when somebody says, "Oh, that that person's Tib Fib." Oh, they must have been on a small bike or at slow speed because that is the—that is the break. I should say before before we go too far, and this this is like a big thing in the comment section, is understanding terminology when it comes to broken bones. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so you have to understand it's not like this or that. It is there are several different criteria and how to describe what what has happened with the breakage. Right. This isn't and a compound then, fracture. So that being the worst, right? But a compound fracture can be almost by definition is always going to be a displaced fracture. So displaced just means that the bones are not in a place where they will heal correctly by themselves. Yeah. Okay. Now that does not speak to what kind of 
fracture it is. So you could still have a spiral fracture, which is talking about how the bone, the 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 crack in the bone, the, or the, the crack in is the actually bone. helical, and it usually results in splinters. Right. right? right. It usually results in more than just one displaced piece where there's bone and bone. This is like bone and bone, the two major pieces of it, then all kinds of shards and shrapnel and shit, right? And that's right. what makes it really difficult. That, to, that speaks to the fracture pattern, whether or not it was like a clean break or a spiral fracture. Um, and then you can get into whether or not it's compound or not. Compound literally just means, is there bone protruding through the skin? That's all that means. Yeah. So a lot of people were confusing compound fracture with displaced fracture, and that's yep. not the case. Yeah. Um, and that kind of just speaks to like the soft tissue involvement. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of different things going on here, but Tib Fib, they ended up pinning it with a titanium pin. And as of right now, he's an Aragon giving it a go, which is pretty amazing. It is. And even if he is like, I saw the thing where he's like 18th, he was doing a 204 instead of a 201. Like think about the effort it takes to do a 204 at any track, like with, at a two-minute lap to only be three seconds off on a two-minute lap. And he might be in 18th or 16th or whatever the F it is, but he's ahead of a bunch of other people. And he's, that's unreal. But it's only two weeks on, right? Maybe, yeah, two weeks. It's only been a couple weeks. So that's amazing. It's similar to the Lorenzo situation where he, he broke something and came back really quick. So it is pretty amazing what you can do with a plate and, and a pin and, and a cast and, and what yeah. you're, what, what comes and as a Rossi fan, I'm all, yeah, go Rossi. But yes, in general, you have to admit, that's a pretty badass thing for him. He knows. He ain't got more time, any more time. We were saying this two years ago. We we're like, oh, yeah, he's over, right, after all this bullshit in 2015. So for him to persevere the way he's done and then to do something like this, again, he keeps putting the stamp on greatest of all time and stop. It's impressive. Yeah, I, I don't... Still don't really understand like the purpose of it. Like why why go? You're not in the championship hunt, but maybe just to be the guy. Just I think, to add to I the think legacy. that's it. Yeah. Why not? As an agitator, because he might be looking at all right. I got to do one more year. I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna kill him with old age and treachery and try next year. Because fucking why not? Right. Yeah, and I can get it too. Like this, I think my colleague David Emmett brought this up where there is this has been enough of a kind of a crazy season where anything can happen. Yeah. That there is a chance, but like. I think for him, like that chance is so remote. Yeah. But then knowing like racers, it's like, well, I'm going to go take it to 10 tenths. I'm going to take it to 11 every freaking time. He, what does he, what does he have to lose? Right. Uh, it'll be interesting. You know, I wish him all the luck just because he's out there trying. Uh, I know you're a bigger Rossi fan than I am. It's interesting. It's interesting. The whole thing's interesting. I, I think this is one of the best. We've been very fortunate and we've had some of the best MotoGP seasons in a long while. And this is another one of them that's right there with it. For sure. I'm going to throw a theory out here. I think if Rossi stayed at Ducati instead of coming back to Yamaha, he's world champion this year. You think? Look at yeah. look at where Davi is. Yeah. They would have taken and extrapolate the same kind of progression. I don't think Rossi wins a championship on a Yamaha. I don't think he does. Yeah. I don't think he's faster. I mean, he's done very well this season, so it's kind of hard for me to say this, but I don't think he's faster than a Vinales with a couple seasons under his belt. He's definitely not faster than a Lorenzo on a Yamaha. I don't think he's faster than a Marquez on a Repsol while he's on a Yamaha. But the Ducati might have made the difference. I think if he had stuck the timeout. Especially with had Gigi like, coming and, in. And then Gigi had like wasn't a there, three right? or four year just drought of being stuck on that Ducati, but paid his time. I think the results would have paid off like they did for Davi. And the talent and the experience, which you know, I hate to say it, Rossi has more of than Davi does. 
where would he be? Because where's where's Davi in the championship right now? I don't know. Something to think about. Um, I want to change. I want to change tax because we're getting out, out of yep. time, and I gotta go to a dinner and see my family. Who, Jensen's in a hurry. Uh, in a hurry. You don't see this very often. He's in a hurry. Gotta go. Gotta go do things. So I want to play a drinking game with you, and talk about Ducati. Oh yeah. <laughs> get your beverage ready pour yourself a tall one hunker down don't drive if you're if you're in a car right now just pull over because quentin i want to talk to you about the big reveal that we saw at misano which was the desmo sedici stradale v4 engine and then right after that came out we saw a lot of uh leaked and spy photo things of the panigale v4 which uh claudio dominicali the ceo of ducati confirmed is the name of their new superbike. No, oh, I didn't know he actually confirmed yeah, it. Yeah, he confirmed it at the at the launch. Okay, got it. Um so I think that's of note. So where do you want to where do you want to dive into that? You want to talk about the bike or the engine first? No, let's talk about the engine. Um the engine they released the most information about right, pictures yeah. and all yeah, the stuff. Yeah, we got the full Monte. Looks very tasty. Um looks like uh, as it should the uh, a, a secret love child between the Panigale and an RSV4, as it should, right? Kind of Kind of in there with all the the tightness and rightness of the, what the Aprilia has, not a lot like the Desmo Sedici engine from the past, which was big and unwieldy looking compared to this one. Looks pretty tight, like the Panigale. So because of that, it's it's. When you say the Panigale, you mean the Super Quadro? Yes. Okay. I should say the, the Super Quadro engine. Uh, now we're gonna have to differentiate. So the Super Quadro engine was definitely very much a box, like very tight. Everything fit in within a very small amount. If you look at a, a Desmo Sedici RR engine, eh, it's a little bit like that, but it's still with that L format where it, it, the angle was definitely there was the horizontal cylinders were definitely more horizontal. This one pr- brings it almost up to a perfect V, doesn't it? So it's still 90, so it's pretty wide. Again, you look at our, the Aprilia engine is even tighter because it's a, a smaller degree. 65, yeah. Right? So it's not quite, but man, does it, is it, is it tight? Um, I, we, I didn't get a chance to see any internals stuff where they're, they're, they was, posted some cylinder heads and some valves yeah, and I, some stuff. They didn't, didn't really show like, like a ton. I mean, I can kind of show you. Yeah, but right I didn't see any cam drive. There we go. So it's no, a, we know it's it's cam chain dri- or it's gear slash chain driven, just like the Super just Quadro like the Super was. Quadro, right, and it's Desmo and all that stuff. Um, one of our uh, readers and or your readers was annoyed at the. There's the pictures that are up that shows that O-ring on the on the uh, uh, pintle of the. Uh, yeah, that uh, I didn't understand. Injector. That's outside my scope of knowledge. No, it's just because uh, most fuel injectors are made to go in port, and so they have a uh, O-ring to seal. Frankly, just it's it's almost anti-vibration as much as it is to seal the the. Uh, thing. Oh, so and, if those if that's what the O-ring is for is important. This is more of a um. Yeah, and this is a shower, a shower injector. Neck. So yeah. the, the injector is is held and pointed down, and it's in the air. Whereas normally it would be positioned inside of a port okay and they just didn't take the o-rings off and this one person was like that bugs me i'm like yeah yeah fair enough well and one thing that could happen is if that o-ring got old and cracked and it could fall <laughs> off and right so that is of note but you know what marketing and they took pictures of the engine and they want to uh, have the i don't know if that's marketing's fault but you never know uh so yeah my engine looks great i uh, can't i can't I have high hopes for the functionality of this thing. I'm sure it'll be really good. I can't imagine it being bad. I think they're going to take all of what they learned with the Panigale relative to engine to chassis and figure that 
You know, not a, not everybody was super stoked on the Panigale, and it took many, many, many years and lots and lots and lots of modifications to get the Panigale to be good in World Superbike. Like a lot. It's not even. It's so much more than the old ones. But even a even a nine nine six. If you took a nine nine six from two thousand and put it next to a nine nine six RS from that same era. It's not even every freaking component's different. The frames were different. You don't, they don't look that different, but they were totally different, right? The airbox didn't look that different. It was totally different. The, the cylinder heads and the cylinders, all this, everything was completely fucking different. It was like that. And that's the way it was in that era. And that's the way it kind of frankly should be. Super bikes should be super. But at the same time, some of the other bikes in that class are, are probably not that extreme. Kawasaki looks like it is. It's, you know, they, they were going with, all kinds of trickery to change Shutting down cylinders, mid corner. They're doing all sorts and, of crazy yeah, fuel tanks that are completely in chassis that are different. On and on and on. This is a normal thing for Superbike. Once you get up to that level and people are spending money, that's the deal. Doesn't make the Panigale a bad bike, but what I rate it as is usually Superstock, which they've had some success with in Superstock or regional racing. And frankly, from a regional racing standpoint, not many people do it. And those who have, they just spend a crap ton of money. And then they're racing against other, um, you know, shoot, I, they, they can't, they, they're barely, barely been competitive with other major super bikes and they don't have many classes to run in because they're, uh, 1100s, 1200s, you know, 1300s, uh, running along with, uh, what should be thousand classes. So a lot of, a lot of club races are like, no, screw you. You're not allowed this. You have to run the, the super open and formula ultra unlimited Pacific class. And that's all you can do. So that's how you I gauge street bikes. In this case, I think this thing will be a home run, no problem. I think if they're if they've been using the Aprilia as a as a benchmark for fucking ten years now, almost right, eight years, they probably started development on this thing in 2012 or 13, whenever the Panigale came out. So it's it's got a, it's had its gestation period. Yeah, they probably started when the 1299 came out and they're like, okay, what's the next thing? I, I'm pretty sure the engine was was in development long before that. But then the bike itself would be like, okay. The, the thing is, if you if you ever get to see any of the codes, you remember, you'll yeah. see 1301 or 1302 or 1310 or whatever it is. That would be the way to, to know. Um, so that's good. The chassis looks unfortunately but bizarrely similar to the Panigale. Super disappointed in the underslung exhaust. I think that underslung exhaust under the engine has a huge Achilles heel that bike. It's been nothing but trouble from a street bike standpoint. It's a pain in the butt for anybody and everybody to have to deal with that awful exhaust that is down there. And it's hot and it creates more heat and it's difficult to tune and it's difficult to make power with because you're trying to put 10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. Uh, It's better on a V4. I disagree with you. I think it's better on a V4 because it, um, the, the way the pipes can interact is a little bit better than trying to get the lengths, the equal lengths out of the twin. But I still, I just hate it. I think that's a bad decision. I think complaining about superbike design choices for street application is like blowing against the wind. I you know, mean, like it's just like, that. that's just not what that bike was built to do. Sure, but I don't, I'm not even saying for that. I mean, functionality on the track. What did they end up having? Two exhausts stuck out the butt of the bike well, because I they mean, need the length. It's ridiculous. And the bikes, I get that, frankly, don't look that good because of it. If they were oh, designed to look the part, I think that would be fine. I think the Panigale is a fine looking machine. What I, what drives me a little crazy is, and so now we've got the V4 and they're still doing the exhaust routing the same way they kind of were before. And that looks a little crazy, especially with that weird loop that was underneath the tail. Yeah. 
Um, That's what I'm so talking about. There now, but it's two pipes instead of one. And you're just like, oh my god, you double down on like the worst part of this motorcycle. That's what I'm saying. This, so, this is part of that loop wouldn't be there if it didn't have to go back down and uh, underneath the stupid engine, right? And then just fucking cook everything. So I all I'm thinking about is my time as a regional rep having to deal with all the problems, and it's just going to be another constant litany of burnt this melting that rattling away this recall that right that i just don't have much faith that they're going to get that right when they could have upswept them on on one or both sides and it would have been bitching they had the same wheels the picture we have yeah same wheels which is like same wheels that are on my hyper yeah and they're the the i mean i know they have that awesome statue of zeus in the bologna square there with the tri-point that that's what they go after. I swear, I think that's what it is, right? It's the Trident style. Try Even y. Giuseppe was out like on his yeah, coffee break like, one day. Oh, mama mia! Now yeah. I got my design right. Oh, bibbidi bobbidi, gonna make it look like a Zeus. Jeez, <laughs> oh, that's awful. Go very fast. <laughs> so and, and that's, I, that's what he got. It's I was surprised that that was the case, but you know, whatever. My cost, cost is cost. The bike itself looks, it looks like a Ninja Gali. I call it, keep calling it the Ninja Gali. They're using the design cue of the 900, or sorry, the new Super Sport with that fairing that goes over from the tank over the frame-ish thing and then down into the fairings. Adds an unnecessary complication. It's not smooth. It it kind of jacks up the flow. It's you know almost diavel bad. I was surprised by that. Uh, and then the the front is fine. I think it's a good iterative change. The headlights, the intakes, whatever. That's yeah. You know, what are you gonna do? I get okay. So so I have a couple. I'm trying to think of where we're gonna start with the positives or the negatives. I, I am of two minds about this motorcycle. I think this engine is gonna be bitching. I think we're gonna get on that bike. And it is going to be a 90 degree Desmo fire breathing motherfucker down the straightaway. Yeah, it's just going to be awesome. I want to make sure to point that I'm gonna out. I'm going to come in, I'm going to high five Claudio, I and then agree. I'm going to go do dank woolies for days. I agree. Absolutely. I think it's going to be amazing. I have no doubt about it. I think it is stupid that it is an 1100cc motorcycle. Yeah, I agree. As and I man. get why. And I get why, because quite frankly, they can. If you, they've, they've shown with a Panigale that you can make a, Nearly 1,300cc motorcycle, <laughs> right? still way less than a 1,000cc in line four. Mm-hmm. So if you can do it, if you can get away with it, why not do it? So uh-huh. I get that part. Sure. But this for me was a motorcycle that could finally be the Ducati that you didn't have to make excuses for. Where it's like, yep, it's 1,000ccs. Race it in your superbike class all day long. It is just like your RC4. It is just like your Yamaha. It is just like your Cowie. It is just like all these bikes, except it's a 90-degree V4 with Desmodromic valves and all the other tech that we've learned from MotoGP and World Superbike. And here, you know, unzip the pants. Here it is. This is how big it is. Look at that. But then you can, like, come out and you're like, oh, it's still an 1100. It's still this weird displacement. You're still going to play the displacement game that Kawasaki does with the ZX6R, which is a 636, or what Ducati's been doing with Panigale and, and like, these and like triples and all this stuff where it's just like, ah. Oh, I wish I could just have an apples to apples bike. And that's kind of with the four me. cylinder, you know, especially all the with the four cylinder. All of them are four cylinders and they're all thousands. Why, why do we have to wait a year for their homologation special to be a thousand? And you know, that bike's going to be like 35 grand or something ridiculous that like mere mortals can't buy. And like, that's going to mean that like no one's going to like privateer race these things. No one's going to be at the club level racing these things. And that kind of sucks. I don't know how many people actually go do that. And if that's really something that Ducati needs to worry about with their bottom line, but from like a marketing point of view, from a brand point of view, me as a Ducati enthusiast point of view, it sucks. And I hate, hate that. I blame the 
lack of sales for years and years and years on that. I think for the longest time, it was common to see 916s all the way through 999s club racing. Not all the time, not everywhere, but they were definitely common. And you it would it added to the, it was Halo for the brand to have, even if it's the local rich dude, which it was often the local rich dude, you just don't see it that often anymore. And that, and they don't, they don't support it. And that grassroots may, means it puts a further divide between all the people who say, oh, Starbucks bike and legitimate. Oh yeah, that's a legitimate fast bike. You, you should buy one of those. If you want the fast bike, you should buy that. I think that's been a huge problem. Yeah. The, um, I had the same thought with, with the bike itself where I look at it and I'm like, this is going to be a bitchin' bike. Like, I'm not too worried that this is going to be a bike that goes and does the thing. The engine's going to be really good. Yeah, sure. And you the look at this, will is, be fine. this is the next generation of this kind of frameless, not yep. monocoque sure. frame. And because the engine's raked back more, that means the, the, the frameless design gets to be a longer lever, which means you can tune it a little bit more easier. I have a lot of faith that it is going to do the thing better than its predecessor. No question. And the Panigale already does the thing pretty well, as we just saw in that first uh, round of the Superbike Deathmatch. Yeah, the Aprilia won 4-0. But you look at the scorecard, and they were like three or five points off from each and other. And I had to sit there and, and bite had, my nails you had to, about like, it. take some time and have to think about it. And actually, and you look at like Hannah's feedback, you know, she actually scored the Ducati higher, but then like subjectively preferred the I'm like, that was a narrow one. Yeah, that was a narrow one. That was really interesting. So, like, I look at this, I'm like, this thing's gonna be rad. This is gonna fuck up some manufacturer's Christmas come you know December time. But it feels like such a miss that that it looks and is so derivative of the Panigale. And I get like, okay, if you're gonna do that, yeah, call it the Panigale before. Like, the name makes sense when you kind of back it into it. But I, for me, this was a point in time where Ducati was going to have like an, an ability to show like like a clear transition point in its history. We went away from the V-twin power plant in our superbikes to the V4. We are, this is this huge crack in time. And you go and you kind of just like, it feels like you kind of just phoned it in on the design. It looks it looks just like the old Panigale. And you're right, it has a couple elements from the Supersport But generally, in there. it's going to be but tough like, to tell it apart, right? I mean, I had a hard time. And like the number of people in the comments section still to this day, they're like, oh no, that's just test body work. That's just a test mule. And you're like, no, no, no. Every one of those body panels is completely new. Yeah. It is completely new. That's not like Panigale bodywork made it to some other bike. Those are different enough that that came out of a completely different molding process. I know that room. I know that room. I know where those pictures are I taken. I know those pictures that are taken, right? too. So to, not many people are, can look at that, oh, yeah, I know where that room is, and be like, wow, somebody had the fucking... Uh, someone someone lost a job over that. Well, you would hope. Because there's only so many people there. No, and I, because again, I know where that room is and I know what it takes to get through to that room. So to see that and then like people are, oh, I don't think that's... Yeah, no, that's it. I'm sorry, but that's it. That's, that's totally it. it. And you look at it and it's completely polished. It is. And like the more, clear, the more clear photos of it static, you're like, those are production pieces. Um, and it just kind of feels like a miss for me. Like, I'm going to see, like, like there's nothing, like, about this bike that's really that different from the Panigale V-Twin model. And that kind of, like, like, I wanted something radical. I wanted something new. I wanted something new. And I'd feel like I'm getting something used. But, like, it's on this bike that's, like, so, so new. Yeah, you I'm just like, I'm like, you had such it. an opportunity and you just wasted it. Nah. And, and talking to a lot of Ducatistes and talking to a lot of dealerships and a lot of people in the industry, 
that's the sentiment. That's the sentiment of like, so you're kind of selling It's like you're repackaging the same thing, basically. You're kind of like, like you had such a time. I was expecting this to be this. I was expecting this to be the letter A. And you gave me the letter U. You know, like you're just on the upper other side of the fucking alphabet doing God knows what Sesame Street. So mm, that's that's hard to swallow. I still think it's going to be a great package. You know, reserve judgment till you see it in the flesh. And it'll, and it'll look good in person and it will sound so fucking amazing. Right. And I had this thought process of I think I gave I gave uh, my buddy Adrian Morton a hard time once about the styling of the MV Augusta F4 and how it was a recycling of the tambourine design. Yeah. And I still believe that. And uh, I'll still have a heated conversation with him at dinner over the next time I see him. Is this him. the guy that designed it? Yeah. Okay. And, um, but it is one of those things where I come back and I look at that motorcycle now and I'm like, that bike still looks really good. Like yeah. the disappointment that I have today in a year or two's time, I'm going to come back and be like, well, that bike still looks good. Yeah, it'll be fine. Because the Panigale, I think is a good, is a good looking bike. Yeah. And I joke that it's a Ninja Gale, but it still is going to have a more timeless look. It's still going to look. Ninjas have. It's going to. It's going to. When you don't have the luxury of comparing it to what else is out there, and you just look at it by itself, I think it's going to be. It's still going to be a very striking and evocative machine. The problem is, is nothing is created in a vacuum, and we have the luxury, and we're like looking at what its predecessor was, and looking at what its lineage was, and what the history could have been, and we know what the opportunity was, and what this engine means for this brand. Ducati, Ducati had a great opportunity and they squandered it. And so instead of knocking something out of the park, they're hitting a ground, you know, an infield double. Nothing wrong with infield doubles. Infield doubles turned into RBIs and that's how you win games. But you could have had like a home run and you didn't. Man, I don't pay attention to hockey. I don't know what any of this shit. Yeah, I know. And you're the lesser man for it. <laughs> so that's my piece on that, Quinn. What do you got? I look forward to it. I look forward to riding it and being around it and hearing it. Because I know it's going to sound good. Well, so that's the thing that we didn't touch about. Um, twin pulse firing order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm stoked by that. Yeah. I, that's why gonna, I, I can't wait to bitching. hear it. It's going to be bitching. I think it'll be a very interesting sound. Now, the firing order that I saw, it looks like it's just the same as the Desmo Sidichi RR. But it mm. might. I, I, that's what I want to. I'm going to. I'm very curious to, to see it explained a little bit better. It's the same crank throws. So I don't know if they, uh, with the same crank throws, they are teaming up the cylinders at different phases. Sorry. So my understanding was, and I'm going to fuck up my left and my rights, but bear with me. Right side, uh, throttle side of the, of the engine, first cylinder fires, 90 degrees later, the rear cylinder of that same side fires. Then there's a, then there's a phase, and then like, what was it, 200 and... Yeah. 70 yeah, degrees. Like that, sure. The front left fires. And then 90 degrees after that, the rear left side fires. So it's like, boom, 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 boom. That could be cool. I, I think it definitely will be cool. I, I don't think there's any equivocating on it. I think it's going to be cool. Um, I'm, I'm very, I want to see that laid out against the uh, Desma Sidichi RR timing. I'm very curious to kind of look at it. Because uh, the uh, Tony Wilcox, the engineer from Moto Sis, uh, laid out a very cool graphic with at the time when we were working on the Sis, the Yamaha when the uh, the flat plane or the uh, cross the plane. cross plane just came out. He yeah. he did it, and it was like the Ducati Desmosidici RR engine 
and the and the Yamaha crossplane were bizarrely similar. And, right, and this and is a little different from this that. one is more bends more. So to it's the more twin. of a long bang, whereas this is they're calling it like a twin pulse. Yeah, and um, we should know. Like I, I initially thought that this was going to be a long bang from what I was hearing. Long bang. So if they'd only put or get give you a fairing kit with the fucking bitchin uh, uh, Dovey style, or no, I guess it's it's now it's just. Uh, uh, Lorenzo style fairings, the hammerhead. What do you call it? Well, so this what are they calling it now? It's just got to be. Oh, good I don't name know. They're, they're calling it like Luigi's Folly or something. I don't know what it is. No, but it, it's got that. I like the head. nun hat one. Somebody was calling it when they they equated it like a nun hat, and I don't know which there's a if there's a famous nun or or something like that. Um, now it's just like big fish with its mouth open and the gills are kind of i love it anyway they somebody needs to come out with that kit to make the make the bike look rad that would be cool I'd basking shark basking shark basking shark basking shark yeah because the whale shark is the honda with a big wide open Roar. mouth right, yeah. and that, then and then the suzuki's like it looks like a, like a displeased samurai angry samurai it's, like, it's kind of like a little frown to it you know it's got like yeah like the, the mouth is just very flat like 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 you see uh-huh. in like the japanese woodblock paintings and then it just kind of curled down at the end just Murr. that's like a mud cat like a, like a cat uh, a catfish maybe we could, if you're gonna go with the fish thing for doing I'm not, sharks I'm married fish. to the fish the whole fish okay. thing and not everything has to be a fish i think this all needs to be brought together in meme form on asphalt and rubber um and i'm you, all about the memes i meme it up yeah you should you should make you that should do, like do i mean occasionally comma. they'll do like an animated gif i don't do a lot of memes that's a different podcast. Okay. I don't have a transition to get out of this. I will say, Quentin, before we wrap it up, we haven't done this in a while, but we should have our listeners, if they're listening to us on iTunes, get into the iTunes podcast store thing. Give us a review. Leave us a comment. Today's secret phrase is catfish. Just type it in. No reason why. I mean, there's no reason why you should type phrase. in. Yeah. Just saying like, just put in catfish. I want to see if you'll do it. I'm a silly guy. Um, but yeah, leave us a rating and review. Uh, it really helps other people find the show. Uh, Apple is dicking around with its podcast algorithm. I think right now, if you type in motorcycle in the search field, we don't even show up because it's that messed up. So maybe, maybe type in motorcycle catfish. That'd be a good, <laughs> that'd be a good secret phrase. Um, but it definitely helps people, other people find the show. It helps give us feedback. We get to see that our listeners are listening. And I think that's fantastic. Follow us on Twitter at two enthusiasts. Follow us on the Facebook, which is the only thing Quentin does to the show. Um, mm-hmm. One day he'll do show notes, maybe. Have you been doing Instagram? No, yeah. I need to. Yeah, yeah I, I need know. to. We're on Instagram uh, <laughs> as well. So give us a follow on the, on the social media. We will have a two-year show in Portland very soon. Quentin and I are trying to figure out a date and a venue. Uh, it'll be awesome. We'll keep you abreast of that. And go read the the first installment of the Superbike Deathmatch. It's 4,600 words, so you can read it while you are commuting across the country on a plane because that's how long it'll take you. But it's interesting, and it's good, and Quentin's got some good quotes in there. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah, well, Everybody some, does. I think everybody has. Everyone, everyone's pretty good. Andy and Hannah and yourself are all very good. And then um, I think it was actually written. Whoever wrote it did a great job. Yeah, right on. And with and that, one one more thing that everybody needs to do for sure uh, is put their kickstands up. Just just go out and check it. Make it sure it's still there. Make sure it goes up. Make sure it goes down. I don't want to hear of any kickstand tragedies in the off season. Bikes falling over, <laughs> uh, cats getting trapped underneath them, them crushing their hopes and dreams. It's it's no bueno. 
So that's our PSA for today. And tip your waiter. <laughs> Good talk. See you out there. Quentin. Later. There was so another be- Bears series in the 90s, but they were racing different. Yeah. Well, and it was it was like a street race around um, San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> the Castro, Castro area? area. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, if I was around then, I would have loved to have participated in that. So the, uh, um, <laughs> the, the. Still can, Quentin. You're still a young man. I, I could, right? <laughs> right. But I'm not, I'm not Barry, right? I'm not bearish. Um, <laughs> this is why my mom thinks we're dating. <laughs> I make a handsome husband. Oh man. I, I can't handsome see. Handsome and then some. Handsome and the- <laughs> the sound. You're going to cut that to the floor and that's going to be very disappointing. <laughs> so.